Today, I'm going to teach you a framework for soaking up positive experiences that you can use to get the most out of periods of focused work and purposeful rest. Positive experiences don't tend to stick with us, but we have highly malleable brains and we can purposefully engage in exercises to create a bigger footprint, if you will, in our brains for those good experiences. It's easy, it's actionable, and it's brief. This is a skill that you can use to intensify the impact of any beneficial experience that you have. We're going to learn how to purposefully soak in positive experiences, particularly focused work and purposeful rest, as the concluding step in our three-step process to turn burnout into resilience. Welcome to Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast with Stephanie Lee. On this show, we're going to talk about what it means to be a late Gen X or early millennial woman dipping her toes into midlife. I'm talking specifically to the woman who sees this stage of life as an opportunity to reflect on her life to date and to begin the second half with intentionality and purposefulness, whatever that may mean to her. Hello, and welcome to episode nine of Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie. And a big thank you to those of you that have rated and reviewed the show. I appreciate it. If you are enjoying this podcast and think it would be beneficial to others, please do take a moment to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Ratings and reviews are the way that people who are not already in my orbit find out about the podcast and have it served up to them in their suggestions. I would be very, very grateful if you would take the time to rate and review. I love podcasts. I've listened to them for years and find them to be a very useful source of information and helpful content. And yet, I had never rated and reviewed them until I had my own. And now I'm seeing just how important it is to get the word out about the podcast to people who aren't already following me in some way. So I'm rating and reviewing podcasts that I've listened to and sharing those with you because you might like them as well. The latest ones I've reviewed are Being Well podcast, which I'll reference later in today's episode, and the Happier in Hollywood podcast. Being Well was created by Forrest Hansen with his father, Rick Hansen, after they wrote a book together called Resilience, which I haven't talked about on the show before, but I definitely recommend. It informs my thinking on this topic significantly. Happier in Hollywood was one of the first podcasts that I actually started listening to religiously. It is a spinoff of Happier with Gretchen Rubin, which I've mentioned before, and is hosted by her sister Liz Craft and her screenwriting partner, Sarah Fain. It has a great Facebook group which shares lots of good information, uh, and it's in fact where I found my first free coaching clients when I was in my certification program. If you would like to review Not Your Mama's Midlife podcast, as well as other podcasts, I have a quick YouTube video on my site that will show you how to find, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It's available at stephanieleecoaching.com forward slash podcast, and there will be a link in the show notes. So a little bit about what's going on with me. I have always wanted to be a morning person, and it's something I have struggled with for years. I love mornings. I love the air, the sounds, the light, the colors, that it's cooler, 
I would say cool, but we live in Atlanta, so it's cooler. I like having that time for me before the day warms up, both literally and figuratively. It's truly my favorite part of the day. And actually, when I'm on vacation, I'll often get up early to enjoy the early morning, either by sitting and drinking coffee or going for a run or walk or in the best of both worlds, both of those things. But on a day-to-day basis, I don't want to get up in the morning. I've had trouble sleeping for about the last 15 years. That sounds ridiculous when I say it out loud, but off and on for 15 years, I've had some trouble sleeping. I think a lot of us can relate to that. And when my alarm goes off in the morning, I inevitably begin thinking that I don't want to get out of bed. I need more sleep. And I often snooze my alarm, perhaps repeatedly, and then I find myself rushed and not enjoying the morning. I've been working on getting better sleep, and that actually is improving. And I've mentioned before that I use the Whoop wearable, and it gives me some sleep coaching. And some of the recent sleep coaching that I get is about getting up and going to bed at different times, how that makes it much more challenging for me to get up in the morning and how beneficial it is to basically go to bed at the same time every night and get up at the same time every morning. So I'm starting to do that. And because I need to get up early to exercise and produce the podcast, it means I'm getting up very early and going to bed very early. But so far, so good. And as I knew that I would, I am really enjoying it. I enjoy going into my office in the morning It has sliding glass doors, so it gets lighter as the sun comes up, and I can open those doors and walk outside with my tea to see the morning light. So I've mentioned here and elsewhere, part of what I'm doing to improve my sleep is actually exposing my eyes to light in the morning and light in the evening to tune my circadian clock. So I like to get out and see the colors of the sunrise, and it's delightful. And what's surprising to me about how much I enjoy it and how quickly it becomes a part of my day that I look forward to. And yet it's so easy to decide to sleep late and miss it. The same is actually true of walking the dog. Getting outside and walking the dog is such a simple pleasure, and I enjoy it so much. But often I find myself thinking, I don't want to get up from what I'm doing right now to walk him, or wondering if maybe my husband will walk him instead. And again, it's surprising to me. Because if I look back on my day or week, those moments of walking the dog outside or being up early and seeing the sunrise are simply so pleasant and positive, and yet it's so easy to devalue them and to miss out on them. So why do I do that? Usually, it's because I think I really need something else. I need to keep working. I need to keep focused. I need to get more sleep. It's also because I tend to make both of them a bad thing, a chore. I have to get up early. I have to walk the dog. It's interesting. In the last couple of episodes, I've gotten started by telling you something that's going on with me. And truly for each episode, I have not planned for that to go along with the topic. And yet it has. And voila, I have done it again. I've walked myself right into a good introduction for what we're going to discuss today. No doubt this is because it's been percolating in my brain and my brain's been making these connections outside of my awareness, which I guess is pretty cool. So this is the final episode in our three steps from burnout to resilience series. I hope that you have enjoyed this series. I really have. I'm sure that I recorded these as much for me as for you. 
One of the benefits of podcasting is that I'm able to synthesize and make sense of things that I'm working on and share them with you. And that's one of the best ways to learn, right? Teaching the concept to somebody else. So in this series, we've looked at three steps to turn burnout into resilience, and I'll revisit those with you now. We've talked about changing the mindset we have about stress, intentionally interspersing stress or focused work with rest and recovery, and purposefully soaking in these experiences to leverage neuroplasticity. And today we're going to spend our time talking about that last one, how to purposefully soak in these experiences to leverage neuroplasticity. So what do I mean by that? So the thing about beneficial experiences that we have in our lives is we often don't allow them to have the positive effect on us that they might have. We're busy, we're distracted, we're not present in the moment, and we don't notice. And like me, even when we do notice, when we have some awareness of a small pleasure, we are so quickly on to the next thing that we don't really allow the positive experience to shape us. Small pleasures such as watching the sunrise or the sunset, walking the dog, good conversation with a friend, a good workout, or just that, small pleasures. And by that, I don't mean that they aren't very pleasant, but they are, let's say, naturally pleasant. We could also call them true pleasures. They don't pack the dopamine punch of something like a piece of cake, a drink, Netflix, or scrolling all of which were literally engineered to get you to want to do them and do more of them. Small pleasures, true pleasures, are harder to obtain. They require a little bit more effort from us. Picking up your phone to scroll and like and comment on posts is stupid easy, and it's gratifying in a way. But I'm going to suggest that these small pleasures and others like them are of far more value to us in the long run And we can also learn how to allow them to have an even larger impact on us. And that includes small pleasures from achievement, a job well done, the accomplishment of focused work, and the pleasure of periods of rest and recovery. We can also use these strategies and apply them to any beneficial or good experience that we want to leave a lasting mark on us. I'm going to introduce you to an approach as he describes it, to take in the good, developed by Rick Hansen and described in his book, Hardwiring Happiness. In Hardwiring Happiness, Hansen introduced this approach for self-help purposes. And just recently, Hansen was the first author of a study of the efficacy of these strategies published in the Journal of Positive Psychology. The full text is online and a link is available in the show notes. The objective of the study was to determine whether people could be taught skills to learn from positive experiences. Specifically, could people learn how to turn states that they experienced during positive experiences into lasting traits or psychological resources that became a part of and available to them? The upshot is yes, or I would not be discussing this on the podcast. So allow me to connect the dots specifically between what we discussed last week in terms of focused work and purposeful rest and learning how to turn positive experiences into psychological resources, because I'm not sure this is terribly clear. I suggested to you last week that some of the benefits of focused work were the impact on how you feel. 
you believe that you accomplished something, that you did good work, high quality work, and you feel a sense of satisfaction, accomplishment, pride in a job well done. Likewise, between bouts of focused work, daily and weekly, I encouraged you to engage in purposeful rest to allow your mind and body to recover from focus and to prepare to focus again. When you rest and you believe that you have done something good for your body and your mind, you are more rested, calm, and prepared to return to engage in focused work again. You also feel taken care of by yourself. You've exercised care of yourself for yourself. Both of those good sets of feelings are in the same family of small or true pleasures that we have been talking about. And they're so easily overlooked in the rush to check the next item off the to-do list. But what I would offer is that we can take a moment to internalize those feelings of pride and accomplishment of a job well done and the feelings of taking care of ourselves and get a much bigger bang for the buck of focused work and purposeful rest than we might by just simply doing both of these things. And don't get me wrong, I believe that both of these have intrinsic value in themselves and will absolutely help you to address burnout and build resilience. But I also think you can leverage them even more. So why not? So how do we do this? Hansen developed the HEAL framework. This is also what was taught to the participants in the recent study that I referenced. They were given a framework for how to learn from positive experiences. HEAL is an acronym and a handy one at that. H for have a beneficial experience. E, enrich it. A, absorb it. L, link it. I'm going to give you an overview of these and then we'll come back and we'll talk about them in more detail. Having a beneficial experience, the H, can occur in two ways. By simply having them or by deliberately creating them either in the moment or after the fact. Enriching the experience involves intentionally extending it, intensifying it, or exploring it. Absorbing the experience means intentionally taking the experience into yourself and bringing to mind what is most significant about it. Linking involves linking positive and negative experiences simultaneously and is considered an optional step, but we'll touch on it a bit so you're familiar with what I'm talking about. The entire point of these exercises is to engage in intentional learning. In addition to the learning itself, it has an additional benefit. One of the factors that contributes to our burnout is a feeling of being out of control. It's happening to us. We can't control it. By creating periods of focused work and purposeful rest, by treating them almost as our own training plan for ourselves, for our resilience, we're taking back our agency. By deciding that we're going to use those experiences to teach ourselves to internalize psychological resources, we are further placing ourselves in the driver's seat, not just allowing even positive experiences to simply happen to us. We're going to leverage them for our own learning by increasing the neural activity around them, which is what the steps of HEAL are encouraging us to do. So why is this necessary? Hansen says, and a quote that I often think of and have mentioned on the show before, 
that our brains are Teflon for good things and Velcro for bad things. Positive or beneficial events flicker through our minds and are gone and often leave little impact. But negative things, especially negative things that pack an emotional punch, they take up residence and hang around. This way that our brains function is called a negativity bias, and we all have it. Your brain's negativity bias just is. It doesn't mean you're a negative person, and it's not a moral failing. It's evidence that your brain is trying to keep you safe. Generally speaking, if your priority is staying alive, remembering those things that are dangerous or painful so that they can be avoided is far more important than recalling those experiences that are joyful or sublime. Safety simply takes priority. But knowing that your brain has a negativity bias, you get to decide what you're going to do about that. Our brain creates paths to expedite things, to be efficient. You've likely heard neurons that fire together, wire together. You might recall in a previous episode, I mentioned that we have some friends and family who like to hike and backpack. So think about your brain as having some trails within it. Some that are well cleared, easy to find and use. And other trails that are used less often, and so they've got some overgrowth. Maybe they're not well marked, and you might trip over the roots, so you need to be deliberate when you're walking down those. When we are trying to increase the neural footprint of an experience, if you will, we are hikers out clearing a trail, maybe for the first time. And we're not responsible hikers. These hikers are trying to make the biggest impact and really get this trail cleared out fast. That is essentially what you're doing here with the HEAL framework by increasing the neural activity around an experience. Rather than allowing that experience to be a polite hiker who leaves no evidence behind, you are going to build a new path, a new neural pathway, and you're going to leave an I was here sign along the way. You want this new path that you're clearing to be easily identifiable and easy to use, so it needs some attention. Now, you may have a sense that this is silly and sounds really very soft and fluffy. Why would I need to pat myself on the back for a job well done? Or even worse, for taking a break in my workday? Who in their right mind needs that? It's probably the same folks who thinks everybody needs a trophy. The far easier path is just to keep doing what you're doing. Press on, head down, foot on the gas. And if that is working for you, great. But if you are tired, burned out, and possibly grouchy, maybe you want to reconsider. Maybe you are the person who needs a pat on the back for a job well done and for taking care of yourself. Maybe, in fact, being kinder to ourselves would serve us well. So let's revisit the steps of the HEAL framework in more detail and consider what it might look like with an experience of focused work and purposeful rest. And we're going to go through it in detail so it sounds more complicated than it is, but keep in mind that the whole process is really designed to take place within the span of about a breath. So this is not a huge investment of time. And you're going to pick and choose from among what we discuss what actually sounds interesting to you, and you can employ our philosophy of small wins. Okay, so back to H, have a beneficial experience. 
So this can be something that happens, something that you plan, or recalling something that happened earlier in the day for the purposes of more deeply encoding it. So this may be me completing a 50-minute stretch of intense focused work, work that I gave my attention to and I believe to be of high quality. And I might be doing this right in the moment after that stretch of 50 minutes, or I could be doing it later in the day. I could recall it. E, enrich the experience. So I'm beginning here to extend the mental footprint of the experience. I can do this by extending the duration and intensity, and I can engage the experience in a multimodal fashion by engaging thoughts, sensations, emotions, desires, or even physical gestures. So we can extend the duration and the intensity simply within our minds. Consider how fleeting a positive experience might be. Just sticking with it briefly is extending the duration. Similarly, you can intensify the experience in your mind like you would any experience that you want to savor or fully lean into. You can also pull to the surface the thoughts that you're having. So with our example of focused work, you might be thinking thoughts like, it feels so good to have this behind me. I did good work there. I finished a lot more in that segment of time than I thought I could. And then you can label the emotions, satisfaction, achievement, maybe even a little relief. And in terms of physical gestures, for some people, it's helpful to put their hand on their heart or even to raise their arms in a victory stance. We can also look for the novel in the experience. What's different or new? How does this feel different from other experiences I've had like this? Maybe. How does it contrast with completing the task when I'm not focused? And we can find salience in the experience. What is meaningful to us? And a reminder, we don't need to do all of these things, but you have a lot of options here. So what resonates with you? For me, it's identifying the thoughts I'm having and labeling the emotions I'm experiencing. And also salience, why is this meaningful to me? Third step, A, absorb it. Think of this as intending and sensing. We're more likely to remember something that we want to remember. So simply thinking to yourself, I really want to take this in. I want to soak this up. And then sensing. What do you sense in your body in this experience? What is the felt sense you have of a job well done? What about your mind? How does the good fatigue of focus feel? The last step is linking. And we're not going to spend a great deal of time here because this can be tricky for some folks. And you can really get the benefits of this exercise just from the first three steps. But so you know what we're talking about. Linking involves being in the present in good feelings, soaking that in and foregrounding it in your mind while purposefully also calling up something that's related to it and negative and allowing it to be present as well. The idea being that we're firing these neurons together so the negative experience is being purposefully linked to the positive experience. Not unlike the yes and approach that we've discussed in previous episodes. I think episode six. 
So let's walk through what this might look like with a couple of different examples. So I work for 50 minutes on an intensive task. My timer goes off and I sit back in my chair and I take my hands off the keyboard and my eyes away from the monitor. I'm going to be present with the good experience of a job well done. And I want to enrich it. So what am I thinking? I got more done than I expected. It felt really good to be focused and in flow. It was hard work, but it still came easily. What do I feel? I feel energized. I feel proud. So why is this significant for me? That salience idea. I want to do a good job, a high quality job. And I just provided myself with the opportunity to do so. And now I want to absorb it. So I'm going to say to myself, I want to remember how this feels so that I can recall it when I think I don't want to set that stupid timer again. And I can take a moment to sense the physical sensations in my body. Usually these are going to be the physical sensations created by the emotions that I just labeled. So I felt energized. So my body is still teeming with energy and I feel proud, sort of a sense of swelling and satisfaction in my chest. And that's it. I'm done. And of course, narrating all of that to you took far longer than it would have in the moment. So let's try another one inspired by what I shared with you at the top of the episode. And I actually tried this out this morning. So I went out on the deck with my mug of hot tea while the sun was rising. I noticed the colors reflecting off the clouds, listened for the sounds around me, birds, bugs, traffic, and I felt the warmth of the mug in my hands and the coolness of the breeze on my arms and legs. And I thought, this is why I want to get up early. It's these moments. I noticed the sense of expansive calm that I felt in my mind and my body. And I told myself, I want to take this experience in and remember it. And then I experimented a little bit with the linking. I called up the thoughts and emotions that I felt when my alarm went off. Dread. I didn't get enough sleep. It's ridiculous to get up this early. I need a morning where I can sleep in. And I let that be present with me, but it was like I turned the volume down on that while turning up the volume on the peacefulness of the sunrise. And it took simply moments, maybe 15 seconds at the most. And as I think about it now, it feels like a good experience that I'm eager to repeat. And tomorrow morning when my alarm goes off and I experience dread and start thinking I didn't get enough sleep, I need to sleep in, I don't want to get out of bed. I can also recall that experience of drinking my tea on the balcony. And it's not going to make the first set of thoughts and emotions go away. But if it allows me to tap into those other sensations and emotions, the sense of calm, the sense of peace, it allows me to clear that trail just a little bit more. That's a win for me. And here's a bonus win. It's much easier for me to see now how those thoughts I have in the morning, I didn't get enough sleep, I don't want to get up, whatever I'm thinking, they inspire that feeling of dread. I can see those thoughts as just thoughts. I don't have to believe them just because there's something that I thought in a way that feels spontaneous to me. Because as you can see, it's actually a mental habit. It's like a old tape just playing right because it's been queued up to the same thing day after day. So that's it, folks. 
This is the last episode of our series on three steps to turn burnout into resilience. And I really do hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. If this was your first episode in this series, I would encourage you to go back and listen to episodes five, six, seven, and eight and learn more about the process we've talked about. In this series, we've looked at three steps to turn burnout into resilience, changing the mindset we have about stress, essentially opening ourselves to the possibility that stress can be beneficial, intentionally interspersing stress, which we looked at as focused work with rest and recovery, and purposefully soaking in these experiences to leverage neuroplasticity. We learned about how to identify our own mindsets about stress, how to change these mindsets by introducing new information, and by combing our histories for new evidence and trying on that mindset as we move forward. We experimented with the idea of stress as enhancing by creating a training plan out of our stress by cycling stress and rest. We learned how to engage in focused work and the benefits of doing so, and thought about how we might integrate more rest into our days and our routines. And then today, we talked about how we might leverage our brain's ability to learn and to form new neural pathways by really expanding the neural footprint of those focused work and rest sessions. And this process for soaking in the good is certainly something that you can use with any positive experience that you want to hold on to a little more deeply. At Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast, we're going to practice these things in order to dial back our sense of overwhelm and too much to do, to hopefully lessen the fatigue that we feel at the end of the day so that we might spend some real thoughtful time thinking about what we want out of the second half of our lives. For many of us, it's hard to get there with all that's going on. So we're attempting with these practices to clear out a little space for this. And because we have and are experiencing overwhelm, we're going to take what works for us from these strategies, implement them in manageable ways, generate small wins, and discard anything that doesn't work for us. If you're interested in learning more about the HEAL framework that we talked about today, I'll refer you to a few resources from Rick Anson. The peer-reviewed article where this process was studied, link to the full text in the show notes. Hardwiring Happiness is the book where he initially presented this approach. And the Taking in the Good class, which was the intervention in the study, it has been rebranded as Positive Neuroplasticity Training, and it's now available online as well as a version for professionals. So that's it. Next week will not be a part of this series, so I'm not going to tease it for you here. You'll just have to tune in and see what we talk about next week. So go to stephanieleecoaching.com forward slash episode nine and find not only the show notes for this episode, but a link for a worksheet with some questions that you could use to apply what we've talked about in your own life. You can use these as journal prompts, read them before taking a walk and give them some thought or fill them out as a worksheet. That is stephanieleecoaching.com forward slash episode nine. The link is in the description in whatever app you're listening to or watching in. Thank you for sticking with me through episode nine of Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast. I do hope you'll join me back here on your favorite podcast player or YouTube for our next episode. Wherever you do listen or watch, please do like and subscribe. Tell your friends. And if you're enjoying it, 
leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really does help others to find the show. Have a great week, and I can't wait to chat with you again soon. Bye.